I had to educate myself to meet the demand of Singaporeans, Indians, Chinese investors, Japanese investors that wanted to be in the U.S. market. And so that's another thing that I find is education and personal development is a constant. It's Mm -hmm. a daily thing that you need to be plugging in. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome, everyone. Today I have on the show the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Aaron Adams. Aaron, welcome to the show, and thank you for making the time. I appreciate it. Good to be here, man. I'm excited. I'm, uh, As you know, I've been uh, coaching volleyball again like I did 22 years ago when I taught high school. So coaching gear on because, you know, we have a match today. So that's the orange explanation. Well, that's the teacher in you. So this is the man that I met him several years ago now. I learned the term K through 12 from Mr. Aram Adam. If you have any complicated topic, this is the man who can simplify it and explain to you in layman terms. So Aaron, why yeah. don't you introduce yourself? You don't need introduction in most circles, but our circle may be new for you. Can you help folks understand what you do? Kind of give them a little bit of, of your background. Yeah, no, I'm excited that you're doing this platform because you've always been somebody, you know, we've known each other a while and you've always been someone that is excellent at articulating and communicating. And so to see this format, it just really makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's interesting, I've been on this 22 year journey of personal development and self improvement. And it really started uh, when I was teaching high school in Southern California back in 1999. I stumbled across a copy of the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm sure a lot of the people and that was a new book back then, there was no seminar company, there was no, you know, Robert Kiyosaki was unknown. I heard he had self-published a book a few times in the 90s before it really got picked up and commercially published. Uh, He just kept hammering away on it because it was a compelling story. But, you know, for me in Southern California teaching high school, that book really blew my mind. I had never thought about passive wealth accumulation, which was ironic because I had a father who was always, he was a rich dad, but he was a W-2. And so he had been a casino executive. I grew up in Las Vegas. I grew up in New Jersey while he made a really nice mid six-figure income, but his mindset was one of W-2 because he came from Indiana. His parents were not college educated. My grandfather was came home from World War II and you know, basically went to work at a factory job for his whole career. And so my dad felt like getting a college degree and then stepping into that W-2 high net worth position was you know, just the pinnacle. And what's so interesting, I'm the oldest of seven. I have four brothers and two sisters. I didn't realize that, Aaron. You're seven. Yeah. I, didn't know, I know about your brother and you. I didn't know they're at seven. Wow. Yeah, I'm the oldest. And what's funny is, you know, I have a brother who's my Irish twin. He's 54 weeks younger than me. He just sold it, uh, his business for $600 million. Oh, and that's a sweet exit. Yeah, I'm not even the rich one in my family, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my 75 million. Maybe a good looking one, Ari. But it's just funny how now this next generation of kids are entrepreneurial, we're less risk adverse than my dad was. And I heard a quote by John Adams once where he said that, you know, we carry the sword so that our children can carry the plow and our grandchildren can carry that. the pen. Love that. Right? Yeah. And I'm fascinated because I've seen the manifestation of that in this third generation of siblings. It scares me to death for my kids, right? because they've never wanted, right? And they've never known kind of that hardship. So it's how do you put them in a situation where they have to to scrimp and scrape? Because I literally started this journey. I'm teaching high school from seven to three, and then I'm coaching from three to five. And then I'm taking my MBA classes at Cal Poly uh, from five to seven, three days a week. And so then Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I'm trying to do real estate deals, right? 
no one just has the luxury of doing investing, whether you're trading, whether you're building a business, whether you're you know, trying to get ahead. It, it has to fit in the seams of your life. Right. And so that's the challenge. Because then when you own a business, you're always behind. I never get caught up on my emails. I never return every phone call that I'd like to each day. So you have to learn to really focus on things that are the most important in your business. And But when you can do that successfully, it just 10Xs everything that you do. And how are you doing that, Aaron? Have you cracked the code on that? I read a book where it was talking about, you know, working in your business versus working on your business. On your business, right. The insidious thought that people succumb to is this idea that because you can do it better yourself, you should. And so I see people wasting a lot of time on tasks that, yeah, you do do it better, but it's not worth your time. And so in my head, I'm always saying, I need to be spending my time on things that make me $2,000 an hour. That's like my number in my head. And so whenever something is wasting my time, obviously I don't count coaching as that, right? I don't right. count family time as that. I, you know, those are completely different like buckets. But when it comes to earning money, you know, for example, I had to stop flying to Indianapolis to buy foreclosure properties every month because it wasn't worth that time, right? And so when you start becoming selfish with your active income time each day, and you start delegating tasks, knowing that they'll be done worse. That's mm -hmm. the problem that high functioning, maybe you've become really good at making three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand bucks, right? But you'll never make a million until you learn to let others do inferior work on some of your work. That's yeah. the hard thing. That's a learned ability. It actually reminds me of a conversation, Aaron, that we, you and I had over the piano bar they usually play during your classes. So one of the conversations you had was I asked him, like, so how do you make money? He's like, so do you really want to make money? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're not after money, Saga. You're after glamour. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you want to stay with all your high-tech stuff. You're never going to, making money is not that hard. I'll get you a mobile transportation truck and you're going to make $100,000 a month a week. Um, but you're not going to do it because you think you're too good for it. Like, which is the yeah. most important part. I think it's a shift in perspective of, you, our priorities, our time, doing things good by ourselves may be great uh, because that's what's rewarded at work. They may not get to you what you want to do in life. Yeah, there's like this hierarchy of sexy ways to make money that's yeah. ridiculous because I'm completely dialed into the fact that if I can make $2,000 an hour emptying septic tanks, I would that have That was the exact do. same example you used last time. I love that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't care, right? Yeah. Um, and you know where I see it in real estate is people always want, to, like, they want a reality show. I'm like, dude, do you realize you only make like $10,000 per episode and your overhead and the waste of time it is can never justify, it's like not worth it. But they're so seduced with this idea of that everyone will know they do a reality show or people want to be developers and people want to do custom rehabs and nobody wants to do trailer parks and, right. and nobody wants to buy C apartment complexes. And that, that's where you make your money, right? And it's really interesting how, you know, and God forbid you have an advanced degree because then your ego is completely married to this idea that you have to have a business card that is worthy right. of this degree that you, that you spent time on. But, you know, I got a client who's a physician and he's all in on real estate now. He still goes to his job, but every other waking minute is focused on his real estate projects. Yeah. So I think talk, talk to us about, um, Aaron, when you, because you, you still coach, right? I see you as, yeah. as a coach forever. Yeah. Um, so what are the, some of the mindset shifts when someone like me comes to you, an immigrant, high-performing immigrant, right, with all the good pedigrees of schooling, of employers and everyone else are like, 
teach me wealth, right? Teach me money, teach me a different way of being successful, which is, which is life altering looking back. Yeah. But I'm sure the first three days, um, I was very resistive um, for you. Yeah, it's funny, man. I would be the first person to admit that there is a glass ceiling for minority immigrants in the United States. Mm -hmm. Like it's real. The whole white privilege, you know, very few of my contemporaries want to admit <laughs> that exists. I will raise my hand and say 100% it exists in this country. And, you know, you know, I've, I've been to India. Right. My partner is from India in Charlotte. And so, uh, you know, and I've traveled all around the world. And it's really interesting because I do think that the United States is the easiest place to make a million bucks, right? It's the easiest to make money here. You know, God forbid you try to make become a millionaire in Switzerland or, or Germany, oh, right? Yeah, Upward mobility yeah. is like non-existent. If you're right, not born with right, it, forget correct. it. Especially with immigrants, there's absolutely, when you get up into private equity, when you get into lending, when you get into banking, there's a good old boys club of white dudes that still run a lot of, right. lot of the country. And so that would be probably the first uh, is you know, because no one admits that that's the case, but it absolutely is the case. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how does one overcome that? I think that in this country, the way to do it is to be willing to do work that the establishment sees beneath them. So in sure. my case, I've always been willing to do property management because you got the billionaires and the billionaires in Wall Street who want to raise the money to buy houses and buy property and apartments. They want to write the spreadsheets and they want to sign the paperwork, but they don't want to screen tenants, right. manage contractors and take maintenance calls. Correct. And you know, we manage now over 3000 properties. We manage almost half a billion dollars worth of real estate for other investors. And if you ask someone, hey, you know, what do you think about pro property management? Oh, I don't want to do property management. Right. So the willingness to because uh, then you're kind of you're stepping through the back door. You you know think about construction right now. I mean, if I could pick a path for my kid, I'd rather that he major in construction management than music in college, B because that's seen as beneath people. You know, nobody wants their kid to no upper middle class worker wants their kid to go to college to, to be a right. property manager, right. right? But you put yourself on the radar of these billionaires and these multimillionaires who need you. They see you as a necessary evil. And so I think that's one of the back doors of opportunity here in the U.S. is the willingness to build a business because you can't do it working for someone else and you'll just hit a glass ceiling Cannot. Yeah, corporate America. You're essentially you trading dead time, right? Even if you make it there, you're basically working 12, 18, 20 up. We all know folks who are making millions of dollars, but they got no time. Yeah. And so the opportunity for uh, immigrants, minorities, and, you know, the Americans that come from very poor working class backgrounds, the opportunity is you have to learn to own a business. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to set up an LLC. You have to learn how to do the books. You have to learn how to get the licensing and work with the city and work with, with zoning and planning and licensing bureaus and attorneys. But that's the it's actually very easy uh, in blue collar businesses like property management that I've been doing for so long to make millions of dollars. It's not hard. You just have to have that mindset switch that you won't ever be a fortune 500 ceo correct, or it's correct, very difficult in to achieve that i love that aaron so aaron you um you and i met our interaction really started when i wanted to expand scale my property ownership right and mm -hmm. i learned a little bit about turnkey property management turnkey properties and all that stuff could you talk a little bit about how that is also a way while you're working full-time while you're figuring out your life of what you want to be when you grow up how that could be a path to at least establishing yourself and learning because i see property ownership also as a as running a business 
It's not Absolutely. a one time one time done, right? It's it's like running a business. You got to run an LLC. You got to learn the books and all that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about how you are coaching your investors? Yeah. So between two thousand and two thousand and eight, when I first got started, for those eight years, I was really following kind of a traditional fix and flip path of investing. I would buy single family homes and sell them on MLS to homeowners. I would buy apartment buildings and sell them on LoopNet to apartment. I was just flipping, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, after the crash, two things really changed the whole trajectory of my real estate investing. The first one was in that 2008 crash, Americans lost half of their retirement accounts, their 401ks and IRAs because they were over-invested as a percentage in the market. And so they were frantic not to lose that money. And so this whole idea of a self-directed IRA where, you know, let's say you had 200,000 in 2007, you're down to 100,000 in 2008, and you've just lost half your retirement money and you meet me and I explain to you how you can take that 100,000 and put a house inside your 401k and have mm-hmm. your 401k go on title for that $100,000. And now you're just making 10% off the rents. That's your growth plus the appreciation. Right. And so we switched who our client was, basically the MLS Mm -hmm. before the multiple listing service. And we changed our client to educating people on how they could use their IRA and their 401k to own property. Because a lot of people didn't understand that, you know, Fidelity won't let you do that. They manage a third of the retirement money in America. There's about $30 trillion of retirement money in Americans' accounts. And 10 trillion of that is managed by Fidelity. And as the trustee, they will only allow you to invest in stock-related, securities-related products. Correct. Correct. Now, there's only two things you can't use your retirement account to invest in. It's collectibles and uh, premiums for like whole and universal life insurance. But anything else is good. The trustee has to be willing to manage it. And so if you go to your Fidelity person and you say, hey, uh, I want to own a house in my 401k, mm-hmm. they'll say you can't do that. And what they mean is you can't do that at Fidelity. At Fidelity, so, right. So that educational process became a huge focus for us because we said, man, there's all these people that have been burned in the market. What better time to pitch them owning a property that I've already purchased, I fixed it up, I've rented it, and then I'll sell it to them, and then I'll manage it for them long term. Yeah. So we sold people homes in 2009, like in Texas, for 30000 bucks that are now worth 10 times that amount. Those investors will love me the rest of their life because we completely changed the trajectory of right. their retirement. And now when they retire, they just take the rent out as distributions. They're not touching the principal. Aaron, sorry to interrupt you, but I think there's a very important concept here, which I know uh, I knew it intellectually, but after coming to your event, it kind of helped me crystallize that, right? Difference between cash flow and net worth and how uh, you had talked about an example where you actually created pensions for people right that they were not government employee or boeing or yeah. whatever these corporates that were giving pensions talk about that example that was very powerful to somebody to think that you don't you can actually create your own pension yeah i had a gm employee come to me in 2010 and gm had told him that they were going to eliminate his pension so he either had to take an annuity Mm-hmm. Um, he was expecting 5,000 a month for life. He was like 47 and he was going to get 5k a month for life for his pension. Uh, and now they were telling him with the annuity, it would only pay like $2,200 a month. So that wasn't viable. Right. Uh, and, or they said they would buy him out for $500,000. So, um, he found me because he said, I need to learn how to invest and I want to invest in real estate because I can understand it. He lived, uh, you know, up near Detroit. So we sold him 10 houses at $60,000 a piece that we're all bringing in 10%, so 500 bucks a month. So it was bringing in three, three, three and, and then I saved the other 200 and said, you need to learn to invest this yourself. So let's do 300 passive, 
two, and then we modeled it out and we showed him that at 10% growth, that those houses over a period of 15 years could turn into a portfolio of over 30 properties, bringing in $15,000 a month. And fast forward now, uh, you know, it's been, let's say I met him in 2009, it's been 13 years. He actually has rent, net rents on his properties coming in over 20,000 a month now. And he's oh, got a amazing. Yeah, and he's got a portfolio that he's built up of over eight million bucks. So not only his cash flow has increased, but his net worth has tremendously increased, right? I think that's that was a paradigm shift for me because I'm like, I gotta have five million dollars in my bank account at ten or fifteen, whatever the number used to be. Everyone has a different number towards yeah. his thinking that if I can get that much amount of cash flow, I'm actually done. Who cares? I have hundred thousand in the bank or hundred million in the bank. As long as I can generate the cash flow that I need to live off and have a quality of life. Yeah. And you know, like my wife and I, we only, we don't have any car payments. We don't have any mortgages on our houses or anything. And so we spend about 20 grand a month with, with the six kids that live under my roof. Um, and, and <laughs> that's a different just, story. Yeah. And, but, <laughs> you know, just from our rentals, you know, we're bringing in anywhere from 120 to 150,000 a month. And I own all those rentals free and clear. Right. And, and then from deals that I'm buying and selling, I make another two, $300,000 a month. And so, but my focus is always, you know, what's my worst case scenario. So if I stop doing those other deals and I only live off of my rental properties, I have six times what I'm live, currently living off of Correct. Uh, coming in. And so when you start to think about what's your monthly number, what's your nut, and then what you have that will pay you, whether it's business ownership, whether it's, you know, um, dividend paying stocks is another thing that I love. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what the vehicle is, whether it's an annuity, maybe you just convert to an annuity and, and you count that number. I watched my father-in-law who's super secure, financially insecure, risk adverse, he just bought annuities. And that's good for him because he's very frugal. And that right. gives him a guaranteed check every month. So matching your lifestyle preference and your tolerance for risk to a strategy that pays you as opposed to just accumulating this money and then living off it for retirement. That's the rookie way. That's the five figure income mindset right. and why people work in middle class and they end up retiring poor. Nothing I see more of that happening, right? Because we're at the mercy of the market. You don't control yeah. anything. You don't get anything. You're like, I'm just going to put my money in index funds or yeah. some active. I'm a day trader. No one's a day trader. You can get lucky. That's all you can get. But I personally believe that you cannot beat the market and what you can't control, you can't really affect at all. Right. So, but in real estate, in your example, you can add value. You can bring the rents up with the inflation going on right now. The market rents are only going to increase. Right. Yeah. So, everyone talks about how the guy who pioneered the Yale model of diversification and he took mm -hmm. over their endowment. And he put 30% in the stock market, 30% in real estate, 30% in private equity, 10% in cash. And that diversification is actually, when you look at the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of Americans, people making $4 million a year active income or more, that almost to the number, they match that. So they keep 30% in real estate, 30% in the market, 30% right. in private equity uh, or a business. If you're listening to this, you're like, what's private equity? I don't, I don't know how I would invest in that. So imagine taking 30% of your net worth and buying, starting a business, whether it's a real estate business, whether you buy an ice cream shop, whatever mm -hmm. that may be, starting a business for 30% of your net worth and then 10% in cash. And I find that most people haven't even thought about what, they have no idea when no I say idea. to them, how is your net worth currently allocated? The other thing I find is that far too many people have way more than 10% cash. Well, you know, it's because the cash makes you feel rich, right? Until you realize that the value of the cash, you're losing every single hour it stays in the bank in cash. Right? Ray Dalio, one of my heroes of investing, describes cash as an investment. 
it's a very poor investment, but nevertheless, right. you know, you and I've seen this international investors understand this. I have Singaporean clients that are super savvy. And when the Sing dollar is falling to the US dollar, they want to buy US property to preserve their Correct. wealth. Correct. And, and I have Indian clients that do that as well. Is the rupee pegged to the dollar? I can't remember. Uh, no, not really. I don't believe it is. I don't think it is. I think I know the Hong Kong dollar is. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think my Japanese clients with the yen. And so that was the other thing that really transformed my business post 2008 was we started working with investors from all over the world. And that's a learning curve. You know, your staff has to learn, you know, what their priorities are, how they think of the mm -hmm. U.S., how the dollar. And so what was interesting is my business, I didn't make a million dollars a year until the last crash. How interesting is See, that? That's interesting, it's right? People lost their shit in the crash, but you actually made more money. I had um, never made a million dollars twice in a row prior to 2009. And since then, I haven't ever made less than a million bucks right, right. in a year. But also, it became thinking outside of the box. I had to educate myself to meet the demand for investors who wanted to use their retirement money to buy property for me. And then I had to educate myself to meet the demand of Singaporeans, Indians, Chinese investors, Correct. Japanese investors right. that wanted to be in the US market. And so that's another thing that I find is education and personal development is a constant, it's mm -hmm. a daily thing that you need to be plugging into. No, I love that. And that, that's a theme of our show, right? Kind of like the whole migration and it's an intentional migration because I always talk about life's going to make you change. Now, yeah. if you can design a life, if you can design the change by yourself, you may enjoy the journey. Uh, the outcome may still not be what you want, but at least the journey would be enjoyable because the game that you design that you're playing versus the life kicks you around or the market kicks you around and you then start reacting versus responding. Yeah, you know, people think that the rate of change is going to start to reduce as they get older <laughs> and it never does. You will always have dynamic change in your life. Right. The sooner that you learn to embrace it and incorporate it into your business and your daily activities is the sooner, that, like, I don't care what the market does. If it crashes, it doesn't crash. I've already figured that out over 22 years. And so, right. um, you know, even with COVID, you know, I've been kicking myself because I under the government was giving out so much free money. I only wanted to borrow that PPP money that was forgiven. And it was so stupid of me because I could have borrowed $25 million at 3% and bought a bunch more trailer parks. And, and I was just so scared. It was fear. Fear, it, yeah. fear had become this recurring theme. And fear held me from, you know, I could have moved my net worth forward another 15 or $20 million. My brother did, you know, because right. he borrowed every penny that he could from the EIDL money. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if, if you're a high school teacher in 2003 contemplating leaving your job to do real estate full time or, um, you know, a business owner in 2020 worried about borrowing too much uh, of these government handouts. Correct. Fear still has a, a negative impact uh, on your business and understanding that and embracing that and just recognizing that is how you become better going forward at not falling, not succumbing to that. So Aaron, someone who is so successful. And not just, when I say success, not just the monetary terms, I think your relationships, your friends, your, your family, all around, right? How do you combat fear? How do you embrace fear if not combating is the right word? How, what do you, how do you deal with that? Alcohol. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually funny. Uh, every day at about 7.30, 8 o'clock, I put my phone away. You know, I'm either with my kids or coaching. If I have nothing going on, I will watch... I'll binge watch some show on Netflix mm -hmm. because I have to learn to like, I have to have this process where I can separate myself from running this 
massive op real estate operation and put myself in a mindset where I can get a good night's sleep and let things go. And I have, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I have a meticulous routine that I follow to make sure that I, you know, can go to sleep in about 15 seconds, which I do and sleep about amazing. six to seven hours a night, right? Because when I don't follow that routine, that's when I am thinking about work at midnight, waking up at 4am, stressing about it. You know, I still hate Sunday nights, not because I have a job that I have to go to, but because I know all my W2 employees are going to be leaning into me on Monday morning. Right? <laughs> yeah, babysitting so, starts Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. And so just recognizing the fact that that fear never changes and that my, I just have to learn to, to manage it is really important. I mean, I go to the gym first every day because I find that when I run six or seven miles and lift weights, so I, I do about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, those endorphins make me perform optimal as, once I do get going on work awesome. for the rest of the day. And so just things like that, like, you know, I eat keto, I eat very, a lot of vegetables, uh, very little. I didn't realize you went on keto, Adam. Yeah, That's awesome. Man. So I've been, I've been trying to get on keto. I could never, I can never do that. Uh, I have these pre-made meals sent to me. They're called factor. And I'm going to look uh, into they, that. Yeah. They send them fresh once a week. You get a shipment and then oh, that's not bad. Is it called yeah. F-A-C-T-O-R? Yep, Factor Meals, yep. All right, perfect. And, uh, they, have, they, they taste good, they're fresh, and, but it's made it so I, I don't have to think make food decisions because I don't make good right. food decisions. So right. it's kind of like the alcoholic that won't walk into a bar. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love but, that. Yeah, yeah, I was up to 275 last October, and I've been down at, I've been down at 245, right? Hey, and, that's amazing, man. That is amazing. And so if that's you're not always getting better, you're getting worse, right? And Correct. Correct. And I love the Tony Robbins quote where he says that we all, all of us overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what you can do in five years. Correct. 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 And that to me is like, I have to own today. And so, you know, and, and actually really all you have to do is win the morning, right? If you win the sure. morning, then you'll crush the afternoon, but nobody, nobody loses the morning and then crushes the afternoon. It never works that way. No. And so when you break it down into just what's my routine for excellence, all eight-figure income earners I know have a routine of excellence that they follow meticulously every day. Man, Adam, this is awesome. This has been great. Hey, Adam, where can people find you? Like, where, I know you've been on multiple platforms. Where is that one platform if they go to and if they want to learn? Um, because you are a wealth of information and you love teaching. And you, yeah. of course, have uh, ways for folks to multiply their money. So where, so where can they go to? So we set up uh, Infinity Investing um, about a year and a half ago. I've had over 85,000 people join. That's awesome. Uh, because we have the best free membership that you're going to find anywhere. It's got over 200 hours of trainings on there. We have weekly live Zooms where you can get your questions about stock investing, about real estate investing answered. One Saturday a month, we do an all-day workshop. Uh, where we answer questions. We've been averaging like 800 people on that workshop every uh, once a month. And so uh, infinityinvesting.com is the URL. You just sign up for our free basic membership. There's no bait and switch. Um, if you would like specific knowledge about, like if you want to learn to day trade, we'll charge you a few thousand bucks for that. You know, you want to learn how to flip mobile homes. But as far as basic financial education and content and asset protection, uh, that's all there for you for free. And we've been, you know, I'm really at this pay it forward phase. I'm 49, but with my oldest son, we were talking before this show about my oldest leaving for college. I was at this, this life crossroads. So I keep grinding and try to get to, you know, $100 million net worth. Or do I really focus on what I love, which is coaching and teaching? Obviously, I elected to coach. 
and teach and pay it forward. And so, uh, you know, how ironic that 22 years after, you know, 19 years after leaving my job in the high school, that's still how I spend my time. I'm still <laughs> every, every, 3.30 every day. I'm back at the high school coaching volleyball. Love that. Love that. But this time around, I have a 501c3, a nonprofit that I put $2 million in for youth sports. I love that. Yeah. And so it's crazy how, you know, money creates the black and white lines of your life, but giving and charity and paying it forward is the color that brings it to life and that adds vibrancy. And so that uh, fulfills I, you, right? It fills money you, buys yeah. you things, money buys comfort, giving actually gives you fulfillment. Pure joy. I mean, last week we had our first volleyball match for these little high school girls and they haven't made state in five years. And we upset one of the top teams in the state last Thursday night. That's and amazing. They rushed, yeah, they rushed the court. <clears throat> they cried, right? And I said to him, remember, none of you wanted, when I told you that in June that we were going to do open gym six days a week, you all thought I was crazy because the other high schools were doing it one day a week. And right. now look, look at this path of excellence you're on. It hasn't been easy, but it, they caught a vision of what winning is. And winning right. always happens. There's no esoteric, you know, it's a decision. It's a conscious decision. And winning and excellence is never owned, it's rented, and the rent's due every day. Right. And when people plug into that and they get dialed into that, then they build a routine, a life routine that allows them to develop in, on the things that are going to help move them forward financially, emotionally, physically. And that's what's, it's all connected. It's there, you can't just take stock investing or real estate investing or asset protection or retirement planning and look at them in silos. They're all connected. No, you're right. I know, I know you're a big proponent of that, not just you're saying it on the show, but you actually live your life that way. Everything that you do is very well integrated and very well balanced. Aaron, I know I can talk to you forever, man. You know that. Um, yeah. So, but, but I do miss you. I do need to come out to Indy. Are we'll you still going to Indy or not yet? Is the events yep, are still so happening in Indy? Yep, and now even more than ever because uh, my son's out there, so he's, he's... Oh, yeah, now you have more reason to go see him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I go a day early and stay a day late now. Oh, that's perfect. So, Aaron, uh, one last question for you, my friend. We talked about your personal goals, right? Your personal life, your personal mission. What is, let's take it from a different angle, different, different perspective. What is one wish that you have if you were to grant one for the world, for the humanity to migrate towards? Uh, what do you think that one migration that you wish all of us could make it happen? So, you know, I think the thing as a 19 year old, I left, I went down to Venezuela and I lived in Venezuela for two years and learned Spanish. And, you know, I've been very passionate about travel. I've traveled all over the world. And I think until you really understand how other people view the United States, mm -hmm. uh, how other cultures value what they value about this experience here and vice versa. So for example, I think Hispanics do family so much better than we do. I think Indians right. do family so much better than we do here in the US. Individually, until you know what you suck at, you can't build a complementary life that allows you to compensate for the things that you're deficient at. And I think that at a world level, our biggest failure is that we, we don't travel enough. We don't understand other cultures. We don't understand what's great about other countries and cultures and societies and how we're deficient. And until we understand that, we'll continue to fail at making this country great because I don't think that we are. We have a lot of great people that live here, but as a nation, I don't think we're great and we're not anywhere near where we should be from the potential standpoint. Because I know that as my worldview broadens and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the World Cup in Doha in November. I'm so excited. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, 
yeah, I've never been in the Middle East. And just, I know I'm going to have interactions and opportunities to change my worldview. And, and that excites me because I feel like that makes me better as an individual, but then it makes my business better. So everything, everything is impacted by things like that. So that would be my hope is that we understand ourselves better by learning about others. I love that. I think it's always easier to gain perspective when you see something else happening to somebody else or how they're living it. But it's got to be intentional, right? Traveling, a lot of folks can travel. I think what you're talking about, have an intentional travel, yeah. right? Actually experience it, live it. Try to see the world from locals' point of view. I love that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you again for your time. Um, I know you've added a lot of value to me, always. I'm going to schedule some time to come meet you in Indy. Appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Hold on one second, Adam. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.